If you will, stand for the reading of our scripture for today. Which is taken from 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, verse 13 through chapter 5, verse 11. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore encourage one another with these words. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. You may be seated. Where does the time go? Four candles lit. The time passes quickly and the time draws near. I love the look here. I love this, that center Christ candle. Not lit. It's like, feels like there's an incompletion here. There's something that's not finished and that's good. Amen. That's right. Four Sundays now we've celebrated and we won't get to celebrate again and light that candle. But again, I like, I like that look. I like that thought. I like that feel for what we're going to be looking at today because that's the anticipation that we need. That's the anticipation that we're waiting on the Christ. If you remember, two weeks ago, we ended our overview of the life of Jesus on His earth in His first advent with Jesus ascending into the clouds. We had spent the week before looking at the 4,000 years of prophecy of the Christ who would come. Then we spent that week looking at the Christ who did come and what that looked like. And we finished that time with the disciples looking up into the sky, watching Jesus go up, gawking, you might say. And then an angel showed up, or some angel showed up, and what did the angel say to these gawking, that's G-A-W-K-I-N-G, gawking, what did the angel say to these disciples? Look back at Acts 1. Verses 6 through 11. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time, sounded like Keith Green, Lord, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing, or gawking, into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Now listen, this Jesus... This very same Jesus, this same God-man, the Son of God and the Son of Man, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw Him go into heaven. Now look at that last sentence again. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Amen. So from the moment that Jesus had left at the completion of his first advent, there was an immediate promise of him coming again. At the end of his first advent, there was an immediate promise of his second advent. He was foretold that He would come the first time. He came and He has been foretold that He will be coming a second time. And that second coming is what we will be focusing on here on this fourth Sunday of Advent 2021. And as we've worked through these four Sundays of Advent, we've consistently said that we're not just looking back at Jesus' first coming, as marvelous as that was, but we're also looking forward to a second coming. And my question this morning is, why would we look forward to that? Why would we look forward to His second coming? Why would we celebrate that? Why would we anticipate that? Why would we put that on the, on the calendar in the indefinite future? Hopefully, we can answer that today and a whole lot more. So, let's dig in. I'm going to, we're going to try to do a very broad, not so brief, overview of what the Bible has to say about this second coming of Christ. Is there ample biblical evidence that says and verifies that Jesus is indeed coming back for a second time to the earth? And you're like, well, sure it does, but don't just jump to that conclusion. Because I think we're so prone, especially as those of us who are older, I'm 48 now, I can say that. I don't, not that 48 matters, but... But we just assume, yeah, of course it does. But as we looked back at the multitude of prophecies about the coming of Christ through the Old Testament, as we looked at the historical accounts in the Gospels about the life of Jesus, it's very easy, if you're not steeped in this, if you're not old school, to say, yeah, but is it really true? So is there ample biblical evidence? Is there ample writings? Is there ample times in history when we can clearly point to and say, Jesus, who was predicted, who did come, is indeed coming back because it's not just a fairy tale. It's not just a story. It's not just pie in the sky by and by. It's not the opiate of the masses. It's the truth. And again, maybe you sit here this morning, maybe you're listening to my voice somewhere out there on the world wide webs, and you're saying, but I don't believe it. Well, hopefully this morning is especially for you. We've already seen the Acts 1 passage, so we won't revisit that. But we'll build on it quite extensively. And having seen the voluminous references to the prophecies of Jesus' first coming, we should probably expect that there are plenty of passages that tell us of a second coming. And there are, not as many as those that announced His first coming, but we're also dealing with only about 100 years of writing in the New Testament that would tell of the second coming. And there are there are prophecies about the second coming of Christ in the Old Testament, but we're focusing this morning on the New Testament. So we've only got a hundred years or so of writing, whereas the Old Testament covered about 4,000 years of events and writings to predict His first coming. 
But still, there are a lot of clear passages that speak of Jesus' second advent, His coming again. Jesus Himself spoke of a time when He would come back after leaving. And we saw this in the answer to the disciples' questions in Matthew 24. If you can bring your mind way back to when we were in Matthew 24. The disciples asked in Matthew 24, 3, As He said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to Him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now Jesus had said that the buildings on the temple mount would be leveled with no stone being left on top of another. And the disciples were asking when that would happen and... Also, what the signs of Jesus' coming again would be and when would the end of the age occur. Now, we said way back when in Matthew 24, we can't be 100% sure if they thought all of those things were tied together, if they were basically asking one question with three iterations, or if they saw them as separate events. But they at least asked them all together, and Jesus answers them through the course of Matthew 24 and 25 in ways that we're still wrestling with 2,000 years later. But in those questions of the disciples, we see them asking, what will be the sign of your coming? Now that's kind of weird to ask somebody who's sitting right in front of you, right? So what are going to be the signs that you're going to come? And he's like, I'm sitting right here. But he knew what they meant. They knew what they meant because they anticipated that he would be leaving and coming again. Okay? And so that word coming there in the Greek is the word parousia. And if you look here, 24 occurrences in the New Testament. It's translated as coming 22 times in the authorized version and presence twice. And the definition there, presence, the coming, the arrival, the advent. Oh, okay, there's that word. The future visible return from heaven of Jesus to raise the dead, hold the last judgment, and set up formally and gloriously the kingdom of God. So what will be the signs, Jesus, of your coming? of your being present again, of you setting up your kingdom here on the earth. And again, we see that this word coming, this word parousia, is used 24 times in the New Testament. And we're going to do a quick overview of some of those 24 times that show us all but five of them refer to Jesus' second coming. Sometimes it speaks of somebody coming. Paul talks about somebody coming and him coming. But just from this word alone, just from this parousia word, we have 19 references in the New Testament to Jesus' second coming. And we're going to roll through them as quickly as we can here. You're like, you're going to read them all? Yes, yes I am. Okay? So Matthew 24 later, verse 27, For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And then later, 37 to 39, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 23. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And we'll look more at 1 Corinthians 15 later. But now we're going to turn to 1 Thessalonians, which has a lot to say about the second coming of Christ. We're going to look at verses from chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? Chapter 3. Verses 11 to 13. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. And this passage has a lot to say about the second coming, and we talked about it, we've already read it some. But look for the word coming, which is what we're focused on right now. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with Him, Jesus, those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven 
with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And then 1 Thessalonians 5.23, which is probably familiar to you. You're going to hear it at the end of the message too. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then 2 Thessalonians 2.1-12, and I just couldn't cut this off. I wanted to just, but just, just listen. A lot in it. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So we've looked at Jesus, we've looked at Paul. Now watch this. Here's James, the brother of Jesus. James chapter 5, verses 7 to 8. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for, James said 2,000 years ago, the coming of the Lord is at hand. What about Peter? 2 Peter 3, 1-13. Again, big passage. Stay with me. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and, of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of His coming? Ha ha ha! For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. End of quote. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all of these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. There's a lot to unpack there, and we're not going to unpack it. One more. 1 John 2, 28. And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. That's a lot. But in all of that, we see Jesus, Paul, James, Peter, and John speak of the parousia, the coming of the Lord, which is a reference to His second advent, which is going to occur at a time in the future from when they spoke or wrote. 
And there are other words and phrases used to describe the event, revelation, appearing, the day of the Lord, that day, and others, including mentions of Jesus descending and coming in various other ways. And there's way too much to cover in this tiny little hour y'all give me to talk. (laughs) Oh, thank you. But no, after that quick overview of just the word coming, just that parousia word, that Jesus is said to be coming again at a time in the, in the future in a literal, physical way. Amen. Jesus will come to earth again sometime. And Jesus Himself says in Matthew 24, 44, we don't have it up there, and other places, Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Which brings us to a different side of all this. The Bible is clear that Jesus is coming again, but why is He coming again? What will He do when He comes again? Well, we saw snippets of this in those overview verses we worked through, but let's look at His coming again in this time to see not that it will happen, but to see what will happen when He does. When He comes, what is He coming for? How is He coming? What will He look like? What's He going to do? And the first thing that I want you to see is that when He returns, when He comes back the second time, He is coming as King. Now listen, we don't get king in America because we the people, right? We, we, well, we're the rulers here. You're right. That was a great idea. I don't know how well we're executing it. But anyway, we don't get the absolute, here's a word, sovereignty of a king. A king who can say, take that guy's head off and they take the guy's head off. The king who says, I want that vineyard for my own and he takes it whether it's yours or somebody he loves or not. The king who does what the king wants to do. Now listen, we've got a messed up version even of that because we think, well, kings are mean, right? Well, Jesus is coming back as the king of all kings. The one king who will rule for eternity. Jesus is coming back as king. 1 Timothy 6, 13-16. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. Who alone has immortality, who dwells in in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Now, we get a little bit mixed up there. We get a little bit mashed up. Who's the king of kings? Who's the lord of lords? Who's invisible and who's visible, right? What's going on here? And the answer is yes. Because he's talking about Jesus, and he's also talking about the work of God the Father who sent him in the presence of God. So let me ask you this. Is Jesus invisible? Well, we can't see him right now, but he is visible. And he's seated in a, on a real throne in heaven in a real body. And when he comes again, he's not going to be invisible. He's going to be visible. So don't get mixed up here as to, well, he's going to come back and be invisible. What good is that? That's not what it's saying. God is sending Jesus Christ back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's going to set up an eternal dominion. And he's going to be sovereign. Jesus is going to be the visual part of God that we can see as we worship the invisible God. And that visible Jesus is the King of Kings. He is now, and when he comes back, he's going to establish that in a real and powerful way. Revelation 1, 4-5. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was 
and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So I'm belaboring a point here. Jesus is king, and when He comes back, He's not abdicating His throne. He's establishing it in a visible way here on the earth. Revelation 17, 14. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those with Him are called and chosen and faithful. Now put a pin in that. We'll come back to that. And then finally, Revelation 19, 11 through 6. We're going to wear Revelation 19 out today, by the way. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse... The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. Don't ask me what that name is. I don't know what it is, okay? He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them, the king will, with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Listen. Jesus is absolutely sovereign. And when He returns to earth for His second advent, He is establishing His kingly rule. The old... um, Great day in the morning. Don't get old, kids. It's... (laughs) The King is coming. The King is coming. Who, Who is that? Somebody help me. Gaither. Bill Gaither. Thank the Lord that name came to my mind, right? The king is coming! And you're like, okay, okay. Let me, let me tell you this. When the king comes, you're not going to be like, okay, okay. We just read some pretty graphic things. His robe's dipped in blood and a sword's coming out of his mouth and he's killing people. He strikes down the nations. Treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And everybody will say that's the king of all kings. So he's coming back as king in this second advent. He's also coming back as judge. King and judge. John 12, 47 to 48. Jesus says during His first advent, if anyone hears My words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world in His first advent, but to save the world. The one who rejects Me and does not receive My words has a judge. And the word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Acts 10, 42-43. And He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He is the one, Jesus is the one, appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To Him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. So if you look back there in verse 42, it says here that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. So who's going to judge every individual human being from Adam to the last on that last day? It's going to be Jesus Christ at His second coming. You're like, well, John, he said he didn't come to judge. He didn't come to judge the first time. He came to, way, he came to make a way of salvation the first time. But when He comes back the second time, He's coming back as judge. He's coming back to be your judge. He's coming back to be my judge. And what did He say would judge you in that last day? In that last time, it's going to be the words that He spoke during His first advent. Well, I don't believe them. The judge will meet that out when the judge returns. And that's how it's going to be meted out. That's how it's going to be separated. Who believed my word? 
Who put their faith in me because of my word? That's what the judge is going to determine when he comes back and establishes his kingly rule upon the earth. Then all of the nations of the earth will be brought before him for him to judge what they have done with what he has said. Listen to me. Every person that can hear my voice right now, one day you will be judged according to what you have done with the words of Jesus. And that either comforts you tremendously or it should scare you to death. Merry Christmas. God bless us, everyone. These are sobering truths. You don't get to determine what's true and what's not true. The judge determines what is true and what's not true. And the judge will determine what you've done with that truth. And we saw this, I mentioned Revelation 19. We saw this in the King section, but just a quick reminder, Revelation 19, 11. Then I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. He's coming back as the king. He's coming back as the judge. But he's also coming back for a thousand other things, but one in particular that I want us to look at this morning that I am stoked out of my mind about. Jesus is coming back as the groom. Jesus Christ the Son of God, the Son of Man, the little baby in the manger that grew up to be a man and died on a cross to pay the penalty for the sins of His people, didn't just randomly shed some blood hoping somebody would say, man, you know what? That's cool. I like that. No, no, no. Jesus Christ came the first time to purchase for Himself a bride. Amen. You're like, who's the lucky girl? The bride of Christ is the church of Christ. And the groom is coming back for his bride. Look at this wedding language in John 14. Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am you may be also and you know the way to where I'm going. We don't get this in our culture but let me tell you what would happen in first century Palestine among Jewish people. A bride would be chosen by the groom's parents or by the groom, they would go to the lady's house and they would say, we would like to purchase a bride for our son. And they'd have a covenant where they pass wine and partake of the cup, which is the groom saying, this is my life. Will you partake of my life with me? And the, the bride, bride-to-be takes it to her lips and she says, I will. And she partakes of the same wine that he just partook of. And she's saying to him, I want to share my, I'm going to share my life. I want to share my life with you. Yes, let's do this. But see, they didn't have a wedding ceremony immediately. The groom would then go back to his house, his father's house, And they would literally build on a room onto the house. And when that room was done and the time was fully accomplished, the groom would then set out on this procession to go back and get his bride. Trumpets. Proclaiming. Here comes the groom! Forget the bride, right? Here comes the groom! And he's coming to pick up his bride, and everybody hears the sound of rejoicing. And everybody's woken up if it's late at night. It don't matter what time it is. I'm going to go get her because things are ready. Let's go! It's four in the morning. Wake up! I'm coming! 
And they arrive in the town. Everybody's like, whoop, whoop, whoop. Here comes the groom. Hey, we're going to have a party. We're going to have a wedding. So Jesus is saying, I'm betrothing you to myself. But we're not going to have a wedding right now. I'm going to go back and I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's house so that we can share life together forever. And when that room is done, I'm coming back. And I'm coming back to get my bride. And we're going to be joined as one forever. And we're going to party. And there's only one bride. And Jesus said, if it weren't so, why would I have told you I'm going to prepare a place for you? But since I am, you know the way to where I'm going. And they said, well, wait, what's the way? He's like, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Now let me go build this room onto my Father's house. Revelation 21, 1 to 3. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city. Now watch this. New Jerusalem. Coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice. You know what that means. Get ready. From the throne saying, Behold! The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. This new Jerusalem comes out of heaven and is coming down to earth. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't see it. But this city is pre prepared as a bride for her groom. What's that mean? It means that Jesus finished the room and this city coming down out of heaven is where He and His bride are going to dwell forever because the dwelling place of God is with His people now. And He's bringing them to Himself in this glorious heavenly city called the New Jerusalem that God has made as a dwelling place for Himself. And where does He dwell? He dwells with us. The groom is coming. Revelation twenty-two seventeen. This is right near the end of the whole Bible. And watch this. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come! And let the one who hears say, Come! And let the one who is thirsty come! And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Wait a second. Stop the presses. God says, the Son says, the Spirit says, and who else says? The capital B bride says, Come! Since creation, really before creation, from eternity past, God has been proclaiming and said specifically there at the beginning of Genesis that it wasn't good for man to be alone. And since he said that, God has been forecasting the marriage of his son. Since eternity past, God has been preparing a bride for his beloved son. Fellas, do you remember waiting for your wedding? My wife was in Kentucky the year that we were engaged. So she literally had moved. And so that last year we were engaged for that year, basically the whole year of our engagement, she was not here. She was gone. In Louisa, where they say light and night. And she came back saying that. I'm like, who are you? I don't know. Let me tell you what, we had June 6th, 1996, June 8th, sorry. Six has got, I'm in trouble now. She was coming in on the 6th, that's what I'm saying, and getting ready. She's coming in, Laura. June 8th, 1996, circled on the calendar. 
And I was living in eager anticipation of that day as the groom. And my wife was diligently working to make things ready for our wedding. And those doors opened up at the back of the sanctuary at Oak Grove Christian Church. And oh mama. You talk about joy unspeakable. You talk about love that I'd never felt before. And that day had come, that moment had come. And her dad walked her up the aisle and he handed her hands to me. And after a long service, because <laughs> we were a little extra, they said, her father said, I now pronounce you husband and wife. You may kiss your bride. And boy, did I. Listen, church, the groom is eagerly anticipating the day when we become one with him. The king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the judge of all the earth, in his zeal for righteousness and justice, has just as much zeal to come back and take his bride to himself. He's excited for me, for us. I got feet of clay. I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. And he eagerly anticipates the day when he descends from heaven and says, it's wedding time. <laughs> yeah, the king is coming. The judge is coming. And in the midst of it, all of it is pointing to a groom who is coming for his bride. After giving instructions to husbands and wives in Ephesians 5, Paul adds this clarification in verses 29 to 33. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Married couples, you're married to show the world the relationship between Christ and His church. That's why you're married. Amen. And let me just read this one thing one more time. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of His body. That is way too holy to touch. But now watch this. We are members of His body. We are one with Christ. Watch this, 1 Corinthians 15, which I said we'd get back to. Here we come, verses 20 to 27. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead in His first advent, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at His coming... Those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when He delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. 
Go back a few weeks. Think about a serpent who was promised that somebody would crush his head. For God has put all things... Oh, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead. After destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it's plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. Remember the promised snake crusher? Jesus didn't crush the snake when he came the first time. He did a lot of work. And he set up the stage for this to happen. But now watch this. Romans 16.20 The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The snake crusher is coming. During his second advent, he will crush the serpent's head and we are one with him and this snake crushing will be our cooperation with our groom. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. If you remember, we ended week two talking about incarnation and how God now lives His life through us. Christ now lives His life through us, through us, oneness, unity. And that's going to culminate as we, as husband and wife, as joined together as one, crush the snake under our feet. Because the groom is coming back to get his bride. 1 Corinthians 15, 15, 50 to 58. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, O death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers... Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So the king's coming. The judge is coming. Our groom is coming. So what? Sounds like a fairy tale to me. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We will be one with Christ. Even now we are. And that's important if we're going to live like Christ. But we will be one with Christ and we will live eternally and everlastingly in perfect union with our groom, the one who loves us and whom we love. And we will crush the serpent's head and the will of God will be done and God will receive the glory due to Him. That is what Jesus is coming to bring about. And it will happen. As sure as the first advent was predicted and happened, the second advent has been predicted and it will happen. How many times did we look at this this past year? For the grace of God has appeared, has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people, a bride, 
for his own possession who are just waiting to get to heaven so everything will be all right. Who are zealous for good works. The promise of the coming of the king, the judge, the groom should change your life dramatically. Should be the reason you are doing your good works. Should be the reason that you are saying no to the world and yes to the things of Christ. If the promise of His coming has made no difference in your life, you may need to ask yourself, whoa, 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 maybe I should do something differently. Which brings us to application. Three P's, we three P's of Orient are. Bearing application. I've traveled so far. Power parting. P-A-R-T-I-N-G. Power, parting, and party. Power, parting, and party. The first application point is this. It's power. Who has all power? Jesus Christ, our King, has all power and all authority. And the King is coming. So what? We'll finish this application point with how we finished week two. So then, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but He emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Whether you believe or not, one day you will bow the knee and you will call Him King. You will call Him Lord and it will bring glory to God the Father. That's fantastic, wonderful, but I want to go back to the first verse of that because this is a command to have this mind among yourselves, church, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Since the King is coming, we should think, we should live like He lived, who emptied Himself as we celebrate the first advent, becoming a baby, living His life as a servant to the point of death, even death on a cross. So you live that way. We should be marked as those who are serving our King in the same way that our King served us. Jesus told the disciples that night of the Last Supper, If I, your Lord, have washed your feet, so you should wash one another's feet. And you're thinking, you wear Crocs, I'm not washing those feet. <laughs> it's not the point. We should have the same mind that He had in His first advent that we should long to serve one another and in so doing we serve our King who we are one with. Advent and the second coming of Christ should remind you to serve one another under the authority of the King, under the omnipotence, the all-powerfulness of the King of Kings. And if you don't know Him as your King, bend the knee now and confess Him as King. Recognize Him as King. And let it change your life so that you serve other people. Power. Second application point is parting. P-A-R-T-I-N-G. And that refers to Jesus coming as the judge. And there will be a parting of every person on the earth. And there's going to be two groups. All of creation, all of humanity will be divided into two groups. Revelation 20, 11 to 15. Then I saw a great white throne 
and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Two groups on that last day, the lake of fire and the presence of God in eternity, reigning and ruling with Christ. And the judge will make that determination. Based on what? Based on our deeds. You're like, oh, I've got to work for this? No. This judge has made a way for you to be, for you to be declared innocent even though you are guilty. You're like, who's guilty? You are. I am. We are. Every single one of us is guilty. And that means that we have offended God and we are born sinners with our hair on fire, running toward hell as fast as we possibly can. Yes, that's what happened to my hair. But the judge did something. The judge took my punishment for being a sinner. The judge took my punishment for offending a holy God by dying on a cross and spilling His blood so that I could be declared righteous and given His perfect obedience by the grace of God as a free gift. And He takes my sins and casts them as far as the east is from the west, never to be brought up again. I want that judge on my side. Amen. But those who say, that's crazy talk. Your deeds are going to be written down too. And it's your deeds that the judge is going to look at and say, to the lake of fire. Where the fire is not quenched and the worm dieth not. Eternal punishment for those whose deeds show that they haven't received the free gift of salvation from the judge who is judging them. Two groups. And He will determine that. So what's the application? Oh goodness gracious. Can you not see it? Receive the gift from the judge that He has purchased for you by the shedding of His own blood, by the breaking of His own body come to Him and say, I'm a sinner and I need to be forgiven and I want to be declared not guilty on that last day. And I believe that can only happen as you impart your perfect righteousness. You pleased God with your life perfectly. Will you give me that gift of righteousness? That's all I need. Will you forgive me for my sins? I recognize that your blood was sufficient to appease the wrath of God against me and my sins. Will you please forgive me? And the judge says, Not guilty. Amen. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The judge swings the gavel and says, Not guilty. When we place our faith in Him. Which leads to power parting a party. The king is coming, the judge is coming, and the groom is coming. The groom's coming! Everybody wake up! Come on out! Join the procession! He's coming for his bride! He's excited! We're excited! Let's go get this bride. Revelation 19 again. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. 
And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. All of heaven and earth and the universe is going to erupt in one crazy, massive, everlasting party when the groom comes back for his bride. Snake crushed. All things made right. Revelation 20, 7-10. We're almost done. And when the thousand years were ended, we won't go there, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. I wish I'd brought, brought my chart. The number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. This is quite a wedding. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. But, Revelation 21, one, one to nine. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice, I won't do it again, from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Satan crushed, evil vanquished, the king on the throne, the bride at the side of the groom, the judgments completed, and we with our groom, the victorious Christ, who did come and who did make all things right, we celebrate for eternity. Because the groom loved the bride so much, he gave his life for her. And Jesus finished Matthew 25 with, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. How should we then live knowing that the king is coming? The judge is coming. The groom is coming. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and the wonders of His love. We are waiting on the promise for the one who lights the darkness, bending low to be among us. Bring your glory in the highest, Jesus. And finally, coming on the clouds, there's hope for everyone. Hear the trumpet sound. There's hope for everyone. All of heaven shouts. There's hope for everyone. One day on the clouds, there's hope for everyone. Let's pray. Father, for you this is all a rerun. Your word is fixed in the heavens. 
And yet in your eternality, you have set a date, a time, an hour, a moment when you will split the skies. The trumpet will sound. The voice of the archangel will resound. And you, Jesus, will call your bride to yourself. And we will reign and rule with you for all eternity. Jesus, we proclaim you as king. We recognize you as our judge. And we treasure the fact that you are our soon coming groom. And as we leave this building here today, may we look at this unlit candle. And may we smile in our hearts, knowing the truth that it proclaims. Not yet, but maybe today. May we rejoice at the thought of your coming, Jesus, to establish your reign and rule and to make us one with yourself. What a promise. And God, if there are those here or at the sound of my voice who have not received this precious gift, this most glorious of all gifts, God, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, speak life to them now. And may they place their faith in the person and work of this glorious, omnipotent, soon-coming Jesus. And may they be saved, born again to a living hope, confessing their sins and their need for a Savior and seeing Jesus as that Savior. Help us all, God. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? Now, may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed, but stay and eat with us if you can.